Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Vanessa. Hi, another day, another matching outfit. I know. We look like Easter. I've got the Yeah, it's not ecru. a baby reveal. It's not a gender reveal. No, no, I've got the ecru. You've got the purple. Purple? So it's pale blue. Does it look lavender? Oh, well, you know me and my love of lavender. I know. Cara does not like the color purple and it's deeply upsetting But I like the book, The Color Purple. Let's just be clear. Yes. Sorry, yes. I didn't mean to imply something. Thank you. Vanessa, we are going to talk about... The topic started when we were brainstorming this podcast. The topic started as plastic surgery in kids, which is a topic that we could go deep into, and we might in a future episode. But we thought it might be smarter to start from a slightly broader perspective, which is the question of how to talk about and how to handle feelings around physical, either insecurity or dislikes in kids. And what I mean by that is not just if a tween or a teen expresses something that they don't like about their body and what a parent or an adult in their life can do or say about it and should maybe do or say about it, but also what about the other direction where it's the adult who's future casting, who sees something that is shifting and changing on a kid's body and they 
want to identify that thing and help the child sort of see it and maybe change it. That's a complicated set of feelings. And that's a whole road to go down. So it felt more appropriate to start kind of with those two really, really big questions. And then maybe if our listeners are into it, and you can tell us listeners if you're into it, then we'll do an episode on plastic surgery. And I, I will say, I am recording this episode from Los Angeles, California, my home and home of cosmetic procedures in the United States. I mean, I think this is for my kids and the kids who I have known and cared for and really loved as they've grown up. These issues are real everywhere, but here in Los Angeles, there's a certain acuity that I think is is hard to describe. The topic of cosmetic procedures and changing the way someone looks or not changing the way someone looks is the perfect example of what we talk about all the time around leaving your baggage at the door. Because what we as adults bring to the conversations with kids, either if kids are expressing their own dissatisfaction with how they look, or adults are having feelings, thoughts, and observations about how the kid looks, those reactions, our reactions, are informed by our own baggage. And that comes in two forms. One is, what was society like when we were growing up, right? Like, when did people start using Jolene to wax their upper lip? And when did people start using Nair? Jolene was the cream bleach. Yeah, sorry. The, yes. For those of you who don't know, Jolene is a cream bleach, which many people still use. It's also the title of an excellent Dolly Parton song. Excellent, which I could sing. Which you but could I sing. Won't. But but just it's so it's not a wax. It's a it bleaches the hair. It bleaches to, the hair. And Nair yeah. is a depilatory. Depilatory. Do you like this? We have a very long chapter about hair in the book. So I'm really good at the phrases around hair <laughs> removal. So things that existed when we were kids and at what age and what were the cultural norms around those things. Then there are things that did not exist when we were kids. And so we don't have a reference point to those items. So that's another subset of the conversation. And then there is the shit about ourselves that we carry with us from our own adolescence, our body shapes, you know, the way our faces look and our hair and all of these things. And by the way, this is not a gendered topic. People assume it's all girls. It is not. It is women and men. It is boys and girls. It is people of all genders are affected by the baggage. So, Car, I think let's start can I start with a memory? Can I start with a really acute memory from when I was first in practice? Oh, I thought we were going to go back to your adolescence. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to talk about me yet. Yes. Um, <laughs> we'll save that Just for later. Just you wait. <laughs> Just you wait, people. On this topic, I have this very, very acute memory of a mom who brought her then probably 10 or 11-year-old daughter into the office. And it was a regular well check. And the way I always did well checks was I would speak with the parent and the child together first, and then I kick the parent out and I'd have one-on-one -on -one time with the kid. And then as the kid was getting dressed or getting a vaccine or getting like whatever was happening next, I would have a moment to kind of pull the parent into a separate room and have a conversation. And in this particular visit, the parent turned to me and she said, at what age 
can I get the unibrow removed? And I said, what unibrow? And she said, the one that's coming. (gasps) And it was such a moment because when I went back into the room and I looked closely, I could see the very beginning of some thickening of hair between the eyebrows on this 11-year-old. But really what I understood in that moment so clearly was everything about that parent's experience with her own facial hair and how traumatizing it must have been. And this is not plastic surgery that we're talking about. And yet I think it's just as big a deal when we do talk about things like hair. Because how a person feels about him or herself, themselves, how a person defines themselves is so often tethered to the one thing that they see the most. And maybe it's the shape of their nose and maybe it's the size of their waist and maybe it's the way that their eyebrows seem to grow together because of the hair distribution on their face. And it was a really incredible conversation that I had with this parent. I will never forget it because it was not the mom's agenda. She was future casting with love. Right. She was asking a question from all the right places. Yes, she was carrying her baggage, but there was nowhere to leave that baggage. That baggage was very much a part of what her daughter's journey was going to be. And what was the funniest part of the conversation was that she had a younger son and she goes, oh, I'm going to ask the same question about him. So to your point, Vanessa, that this is not gendered, this is not gendered. And I think that's a really good place to start. Do you or someone you love have smelly feet? Well, this is for you. We made magical socks. We did. The magic is zinc. With zinc around, bacteria cannot grow. And if bacteria cannot grow, well, then there are no bacteria to eat the sweat. And if there's no bacteria to eat the sweat, then there's no off-gassing. And if there's no off-gassing, then there's no smell. That's how socks work. Check out the link in our show notes or go to myoomla.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, 
beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. So we know that we bring all our own stuff into these experiences of raising kids and loving kids and caring for kids. And... It might not have felt for the mom in the moment, like there was no place to leave her baggage. But as we always say, it's got to come out some way, right? It's either going to come out sideways and smack your kid in the face, or it's going to come out deliberately, slowly, and cautiously in conversation with a trusted friend, a partner, a therapist, whomever. So if you start to hear, if we start to hear, I very much include myself in this category of seeing things in my kids or imagining I see things in my kids that still stay with me since, you know, puberty and adolescence. The first thing I try to ask myself is, where is this reaction coming from? Is this reaction coming from my kid coming home and saying to me, oh, someone made fun of my eyebrows in school. It was so embarrassing. Can we do something about it? Or is the reaction coming from 30 years ago during recess at middle school, someone said something to me about how big my eyebrows were. So I think 
it's not a solution. It's just an opportunity for all of us to pause when we're having reactions about something that we notice in our kids that's kind of setting off emotional alarm bells. And I want to get to the medical piece of it, because I think this is really part and parcel here. You know, we talk about a lot of topics on this podcast that have an emotional component and a physical component. This is one that has a very clear medical component. There are sort of gating ages before which if you do something about something, it just doesn't take, frankly. And you do as painful as this can be for some of the adults or kids involved, at 11, there was nothing to do about the impending unibrow. Because? Because the adrenal glands are going to slowly secrete their adrenal androgens and the body, the all of the receptors in the skin cells were going to begin to register those hormones and convert the message into hair growth. And it's only once the hair has grown that you can do something about it. But I think to this mom's point and to your point all these years later, knowing, sort of being able to anticipate what the conversation looks like and understanding what's underneath it is really important. So let me just get to the medical on hair removal because I yeah. think it's sort of significant. And ble- removal and bleaching. Yeah. So, okay, let's start with bleaching. Bleaching, first of all, is a white Caucasian phenomenon. It does not work to hide hair on darker skin. I want to be really clear about that. So when we talk about it as a hair strategy, we're talking about it for people with skin tones for which when you lighten the hair, the hair seems to disappear. That being said, it's a really good, I think, short-term strategy for kids who are feeling a lot of distress around body hair. Arm hair is a a major focus. So when kids do go through the path of puberty and their adrenal androgens are churning out, you know, all of that hair, right? They're, They're thickening all the hair. Hair on the arms often gets thick and coarser. Um, especially on the forearms. And sometimes if you have light skin, bleaching the hair can make it less noticeable to other people, which can make the kid who has the hairier arms feel better. It's an interim solution. Is it benign? Look, you know, if you are living in a house where everything you eat is organic and you've got no chemical exposures at all, Bleach on the arms is not going to feel like a very tenable solution to you. And I completely understand that. But in terms of thinking through kind of the steps of hair mitigation, I think bleach is one sort of interesting early step to think about. Hair on the legs is often waxed or shaved in order to temporarily remove it. I know a lot of kids who wax or shave their arms as well. Mm. um, And that's a way to remove the hair temporarily without using a chemical. A depilatory like Nair, all that does is it, it essentially weakens the hair at the point that it's popping out of the skin. It literally, it's like a little gopher that's chewing up the hair around where it's emerging out the skin. And then the hair, when you wipe off the depilatory, you wipe away the hair because it's just disintegrated where it's coming out. It's like chemical shaving. Again, for those who are not looking to introduce a ton of chemical, a depilatory is probably not a great solution. They also smell disgusting. 
disgusting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I say nair and you're like, that yeah, smells it's disgusting. Yeah. Right. And then there's electrolysis and laser hair removal, which is the permanent solution. And I have always been adamant, adamant about waiting on permanent hair removal for a number of reasons. One of which is we don't have any data about how well it works before a certain age. And so for me to tell you that on an 11 or 12 or 13 year old to go through a very painful and it's painful hair removal process, and that's going to be the solution. First of all, I got no data that it's going to last. And second of all, it's a permanent body change in a very young body. And I always feel like, gosh, the permanent changes should probably wait until the brain has developed a little bit more. So I did ask while I was being lasered <laughs> at 46. <laughs> not at 12. Yeah. At 46, having waxed myself all through the pandemic, I was like, F this, I'm getting lasered when this hell is over. And I did ask the women who work there because, you know, they do this day in and day out. And I said, what do you guys recommend? And under 18, a kid needs a parental permission. Yes. But they said, you know, with girls, they like to see a regular period for like a couple of years before they will do laser on them. Because as Kari, you'll explain, that means that the hormone surge are probably evening out and therefore they're not going to have the same, like it's not going to be a waste of money because things are kind of normalizing a bit. Now we know that estrogen doesn't cause hair, but like based on their experience, they found that girls who had been menstruating regularly, it was more effective, even though they're not, it's not causal, it's kind of correlated. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little bit of a false truth only insofar as, you know, the path of hair growth, which is called adrenarche, that is separate from the path of sexual development, reproductive development, which is called menarche. Um, that's the beginning. First period is menarche, but the, the path of sexual maturation, right? So the two roads tend to travel together. That is why, you know, most kids, when they get a period for the first time, have pubic hair already, have underarm hair already, are starting to grow more body hair already. But they're not perfectly in sync. And so it's a decent yardstick, but I don't think it's the perfect one, but it's maybe as good a yardstick as they have, right? And its I don't think it's a bad general rule of thumb, but that would, based on average ages of first period, first period in this country tends to come at about 12 and a half. They're generally not regular in the beginning, although they certainly can be, but usually the first year or so is irregular. Your comment was after a regular period. So let's say the average kid gets their period for the first time at 12 and a half. It becomes regular by the time they're about 13 and a half, two years after. Now they're 15 and a half. You know, that's not 18. And so this is a very personal decision. And I'll add, when a parent is driving the decision, and they are driving the decision between 15, 16, 17, 18, it can message to the kid that something that kid doesn't think is a problem is a problem. And that's where this gets tricky. But I don't think the parents are always driving the decision at that age. I think parents, sometimes parents are driving the decision and sometimes kids are saying, I am so unhappy. Like this is making me so unhappy. And parents are stuck in this really tough spot where they're like, I think you're kind of young to permanently remove, you know, the hair in your bikini line or under your arms. But like, 
I don't want you to be unhappy. It's so painful totally. for me to see that. Totally. And the the flip side, I got to say, is, you know, we said at the top, this is not gendered. This is not gendered. So the very typical male in later high school who, you know, is taking off their shirt to jump in the swimming pool has no hair on their chest. And at least here, you know, in LA, and, and it may be it may be as much demographic as it is sort of sociocultural, but that is not because they're not growing chest hair. It's because they are removing their chest hair. They may be shaving it. They may be using it depilatory. They may be waxing it. And some may want to be lasering it. I mean, the male, the ideal male body type does not involve a massively hairy chest. So this is really important to realize it's really not gendered. I know a young man who has a ton of back hair and had body hair very early on. And it was extremely upsetting to him. And he, I think, got waxed and then maybe ultimately got lasered. And and by the way, it's not just hair above the waist for boys. We've talked about manscapers. We've talked about how genital landscaping is not just for people with vulvas, that people with penises are very actively manscaping down there, either removing it all or trimming it or shaping it or whatever, the same thing that people do with their pubic hair on their vulvas. So again, people assume it's gendered. It is not gendered. And the discomfort and unhappiness that kids feel about their hair is not limited to one gender. The only caveat I would make, Cara, and then I think we should move from hair to some other categories, is in our generation, guys kept the hair on their bodies, right? right? They didn't remove their pubic hair. They didn't wax their chest. They didn't... It was less normative. Yeah, for and sure. And so for parents or adults caring for teenage boys, you might be surprised to hear your kid ask for a manscaper or a waxing appointment or a depilatory or anything like that. Just remember, times have changed. and males feel as much pressure as females to have parts of their body appear hairless. And I'll just add the caveat that we do get the question all the time about safety and safety data. And so I encourage people to read the safety data on different lasering and electrolysis procedures. There's a lot of data on adult bodies. There is really not a ton of data on teenage bodies. Like, Please, anyone who's listening who has a study that looks at teenagers who had electrolysis or laser who were followed for several years out, I would like to see that data. I cannot seem to find it. But but to the best of my knowledge, this is a, in adult bodies, it's a generally a low-risk procedure. It's painful, but it's generally a low-risk procedure. And expensive. And, And expensive, painful and expensive, but offset against the mental health piece of this, I think is something that a lot of adults will weigh. And again, like this goes to the next category because we're going to go to plastic surgery now. When I say the mental health piece, and I'm talking about someone really feels badly about a part of their body or something that's happening on their body, the natural reactive question is, well, aren't you buying into the social norms and the social pressures around hitting body ideals or hair ideals or or whatnot. And the answer is yes, it's very, very, very complicated and very layered. You know, when we talk about mental health, there are 
competing drivers here in this conversation. They're sort of how someone feels because they're living in the body they're living in, in the place that they're living in, at the time that they're living in it, and how much do you or don't you cave to those societal standards. And, you know, just this week, I was at an event hosted by Dove, who does some of the very best self-esteem education in the world. I think they said at the event, they've reached 94 million kids in their self-esteem project at this point. I think they launched in 2004. They've been around a really long time doing this, but they have a series of unbelievable videos that speaks exactly to what we're talking about, which is, you know, this is the world we're living in and how much do you or don't you cave and what are the consequences? Like, so you make a kid feel better in the short run, but is that ultimately eroding something bigger in the long run? Are we all, you know, buying into a beauty standard that we should all be pushing back against? And I think there is a very valid argument for that. And that's what makes this such a tricky topic to address. It's like when you look at the individual kid and you can see the pain and you can see the solution. And yet when you look at the bigger societal issue around it, like what what are we doing? What is happening? And I don't want to suggest that we, that you and I, Vanessa, stand on one side or the other. We I think we feel both sides very deeply. And I, I would argue that the very first thing we would like to do as people who work in this field is erase the social norming, the social beauty ideals that are driving this conversation in the first place. Yeah. I mean, like so many of the subjects we talk about, there is no one right answer. There are so many factors that go into how a caregiver has to navigate recognizing a kid's feelings meeting their needs on some level, but also setting family standards and values on another level. And that's a really tough balancing act. I mean, we have to do that with phones. We have to do that with, you know, allowances. We have to do that with appearance. We have to do that with how they dress. I mean, there's a million ways where we are constantly balancing. And so one thing that adults can do is be open about it and say, I hear you and I am so sorry that this is upsetting you. I just want you to know, I wish we lived in a world where it didn't matter how much hair you had on your legs. And I'm going to say that I think you are beautiful or handsome or you are you and I love who you are. And I wish that felt like enough to you, but it sounds like it's really hard. So let's talk about that in more depth, right? Like I think in these conversations, recognizing, and that doesn't mean every time parents are going to say, oh, you don't like that about, okay, let's, let's fix it. Because I do think there's something really important in life internally and externally. There are things that we don't love about ourselves. And like, that's kind of life. Like, I think that's kind of important to know. You cannot fix every weakness or imperfection in yourself. You sometimes just have to learn to live with them. And what feels like an imperfection today can feel like a strength tomorrow. And this is, I think, a huge piece of it. So I do want to go to plastic surgery. And I I think I want to focus on two different procedures that are probably the most common in teenagers, breast reductions and rhinoplasty, nose jobs. There are lots of different cosmetic procedures that 
kids may get for a whole bunch of different reasons. I remember when we were little ear pinning was sort of a oh, yeah. one I heard about a lot. And that's, you know, I mean, these are all right. Um, cosmetic procedures are reconstructive cosmetic procedures. You know, someone who has a burn, someone who's in an ex- traumatic accident and needs to literally be reconstructed. That's generally put in a different bucket of cosmetic surgery. But let's talk for a minute about breast reduction and rhinoplasty. And let's start with breast reduction because I think that one's actually a little easier insofar as when people have breasts that are large enough that they are causing back pain or limiting the physical ability of a kid to move around, to exercise, to do the things in life that they enjoy. And and the breast size is also impacting self-esteem. To me, that is the easiest toe into the conversation around a cosmetic procedure for a teenager. Now, I will tell you, breast reduction does not work when it is done too young. This is complicated and you can find a plastic surgeon who will do a breast reduction on a 15-year-old and they will tell you it works. And I'm just here to tell you for the same reason that the hair removal experts told you, Vanessa, that they want a regular period for two years or more. For sure, for breast reduction, you want the surges of estrogen and progesterone to have leveled out because anyone who has breasts knows that when those hormones surge, so too do fluid levels, water levels in the body. And the first thing that grows is your bra size, right? Breast swell usually in the week or so before a period or the first few days of a period because of hormonal surges. So as hormones are surging and the body is still continuing to shift at a rapid pace in the mid stages of puberty, if you go in and you do a breast reduction, guess what? The remaining breast tissue still has all those hormone receptors. And what we tend to see is that the breast tissue simply regrows or regrows to some extent. If you wonder how true this is, and I hope you don't question how true this is, but it's fair. You can question how true this is. Think through anyone you might know who as an adult had a breast reduction surgery, then had a pregnancy, and then has said subsequent to the pregnancy, oh my gosh, my breasts are back. Mm -hmm. And it is essentially the same physiologic process, right? All the hormones surging during pregnancy and very responsive breast tissue. So I breast reduction... I personally think 18, although most people who are surgeons would say, don't use a hard and fast number, but do look very closely at physiological development and probably not before about 17, unless the breast size is so constricting. It's shifting everything about a person's life experience and they are willing to do something now and maybe have to go back and do something later. Yeah. I mean, I know lots of women who've had to have second breast reductions and also weight affects breast size. And so some people were desperate to have breast reductions, but were told they had to lose weight before, you know, a surgeon would consider doing a breast reduction and that brings its own challenges and complications. And if, you know, if they're struggling emotionally, that can feel really, really crummy. So like any of these things that we're talking about, it's not a oh, here, we're going to get this done and then everything is going to be fine, right? It's all part of a longer journey and a bigger ecosystem of emotional and physical factors. What are the medical guidelines around nose jobs or rhinoplasty? Yeah, so 
This is different from breast reduction because on the one hand, the nose grows and changes shape through puberty. I mean, any growth spurt impacts all bone growth in the body and cartilage is impacted. And the nose is a combination of, you know, the there's the bone. If you've ever looked at a skull, right, you see it almost looks like the nose is kind of cut off on the skull. And that's because there's the bony part of the nose that kind of comes out from the face. And then there's the cartilaginous tip of the nose that doesn't really have a bone, so to speak, but it's this firm cartilage. And that's why you can do the fun party trick where you push on the tip of someone's nose and you can determine whether they were bottle fed or breastfed. Because if it's if the cartilage is soft at the tip, then that nose was probably pressed against a breast while the baby was feeding early on. Doesn't mean they weren't breastfed by breast milk in a bottle. You can't determine the type of milk that Hmm. they had, but you can determine the mechanism of how they got their milk in based upon how firm a nose is at the tip. Anyways, so rhinoplasty, let's just review. I mean, all the same concepts that you just went through, Vanessa, apply. So this is not a quick solution. This is not an inexpensive solution. No surgery is without risk. And, you know, the risks begin with the risks of anesthesia. But I would say that most cosmetic surgeons, plastic surgeons are far more comfortable doing rhinoplasty nose job at younger ages, especially if a child has gone through their growth spurt already. So it is not uncommon to see the procedure start around age 16. And this one, there are, I would say, two buckets of reasons why kids might get the procedure. And there's a huge Venn diagram overlap between the two. So in one bucket, there's a structural issue that is causing either breathing difficulty, sleeping difficulty because the air isn't flowing very easily at night, chronic sinus infection. So often the the most common thing you'll hear is a deviated septum. The septum is the midline that separates your right and your left nostril. And if that septum is not perfectly straight down the middle, but it leans in one direction or another, one side of the nose is wide open and can move air very easily and can move mucus very easily. But the other side is like a crimped hose and everything backs up and gets stuck. And that is why it is true that if someone has a deviated septum and it's deviated enough, they often do need a rhinoplasty to straighten the septum in order to allow even airflow, even mucus flow, even sinus drainage. I mean, it really, it makes a huge difference. Now, sometimes, not always, but sometimes along with a deviated septum comes a nose that either looks like it's asymmetric in one direction, or it's a larger nose, right? And I don't think septum orientation has anything to do with the size of the nose, frankly, but you will often hear kids who have a real cosmetic desire to get rhinoplasty lean into the explanation of, well, I had a deviated septum. I'm just going to say, we say on every podcast, don't judge. Like, it doesn't really matter if that kid does or doesn't have a deviated septum because if they're in the second bucket, which is that the shape and size of their nose is driving real self-esteem issues, then who cares what their explainer is to the mm-hmm. outside world. And I caution people who are quick to judge, like, don't judge, like, just leave it. Just 
understand the world that this kid is growing up in and the way this kid feels about the size and shape of the nose on their face. And by the way, it's not just kids who say it's because of my deviated septum. I know lots of adults who have had nose jobs who felt the same discomfort or shame saying, I just didn't like how my nose looked. And so I wanted to change it. But it's really hard at 16 to say that. It's very hard at 16. And it's a very complicated process. And part of our job as adults caring for these kids is to help them work through what their feelings are in reaction to how they look, right? We know kids are straightening their hair, coloring their hair, highlighting their hair, getting colored contact lenses. They're doing stuff to their skin, right? Removing acne scars, changing some of the coloring on their skin. But those are all temporary changes. And I think it's important to end the conversation about plastic surgery and permanent changes by saying to the adults who are listening, and frankly, if there are any kids listening to this as well, This is a permanent choice and it is a choice that is not without risk going into an operating room. This is a conversation to have not just with one plastic surgeon, but maybe you get a couple of opinions. This is a conversation to have with your primary health care provider, like your pediatrician. This is a conversation to have maybe with a mental health care provider who might be able to walk you through what the drivers are for why you want to make this change. I think it's really important to distinguish coloring your hair and experimenting with your outward appearance in a temporary way versus a permanent way. And it's very, very, very important to give the runway of time for both kids and the adults involved to make a decision that's going to feel good for the rest of that kid's life. But I think regardless of whether something is permanent or temporary, when a kid comes to an adult and says, I hate this thing about myself, yeah, I hate how I look or I hate what people say about it or I feel terrible when I put on a bathing suit or I'm afraid of walking into social situations where I don't know anyone because I'm worried about what people are going to say about, you know, insert. So yes, I think there's obviously really serious pathways and considerations for permanent changes to a body, but I think we can't discount the emotional impact of aspects of the way people look that yes, are fixed temporarily, but because of kids' ages or our societal training about when it's appropriate to allow kids to do certain things to their bodies, you know, adults feel like they're doing the right thing by saying, you know, just wait, it's not appropriate yet. You're only nine, you're only 10, you're only 12, you're only 14. But the toll emotionally of waiting thats right, is really serious. And that's when you have to have the hard conversations with them about like, hey, what's going on for you here? Like you keep coming home and bringing this up. I want to understand, is this coming from you? Is there something going on with, you know, friends or people at school? It's also a time to look at what they're looking at on social media, what shows they're watching, what TikTok accounts they're following. Are they on Reddit sites where there are chat groups about things, about body parts and idealized body images? I mean, it comes back to, Cara, what you talked about at the beginning, which is, Kids are living in a society with incredibly difficult, unrealistic bodily ideals that 99% of human beings will never achieve naturally. And it's holding both things in our hands and saying like, hey, I really get that this is stressful and you want to meet this ideal. You have to know it's like nobody looks like that. 
naturally. Mm -hmm. And so how do we get you to a place where you feel good, but also recognize like these pressures are unrealistic. And in the most extreme, we know that trends shift and change. And so if we go back to where we started the conversation, which was with eyebrows and hair, how many of us plucked our eyebrows into oblivion in the 80s and 90s, only to now beg them to grow every single night because bushier eyebrows are back. So you can extrapolate that argument across this whole conversation. This is the beginning. We welcome your feedback. We're interested in hearing what you want us to talk more about. Maybe, Vanessa, we can even bring in a plastic surgeon who does some procedures on kids to talk about what that process looks and feels like on future episodes. I think it would be kind of an amazing phenomenon to explore more deeply with the people who are actually doing the procedures. I completely agree. Thank you, Cara. Thank you, Vanessa. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com. Yet. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.